0: Good morning. You will notice here on the stage with me is our good friend Don. Don, thank you so much for a couple of weeks ago uh, sending in for us a passage of Scripture. Uh, And it was a fun little email exchange between myself, you, and Pastor Matt. And I'm excited for you to be able to share your verse that you've selected with us today. And then feel free to add any little bits after that
1: as you like. Um, And then I'll get into the sermon. Thanks for the confidence that you have in here when, in, in me. When you give me the chance, you never know what may come. But, That's right. <laughs> uh, I would like to say thank you and uh, to the pastors for pursuing this very creative style of sermon series. I'm really quite enjoying seeing the different ways that God has been speaking to people uh, and hearing what he's put on your heart. And now it's my turn. That's great. I'm going to read, so I stay on script here. The verses I chose to share are from Psalm 34, 12 to 16, and they're also repeated in 1 Peter 3, 10 to 12, and it goes like this, for whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must, he must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So at first reading, this sounds like quite a warning, saying, be good or else. However, these words were written by David, and David describes God as his refuge, the one he goes to for rescue. When trouble came, David would run to God because he was convinced God was on his side. And although David wrote these verses, Peter also quotes them. My favorite story about Peter is when Jesus comes walking to him on the water, and he says, Lord, if it is you, call me, tell me to come to you on the water. It's like he's saying, go ahead, tell me to do the impossible. So I read these verses through the lens of how I imagine David and Peter. To me, they carry a strong message that what I say and do really matters. And the focus is on trust, not on punishment. Both David and Peter lived challenging lives, which is to say they knew what trouble was. And both of them believed that it matters what we say and do, and God is on our side and watching out for us. And I look forward to Trent's take on all of these. (laughs) (laughs) That's lovely.
0: Thank you so much. for sharing. And, and let me just say another quick prayer just to uh, enter into this time together. Lord, I just, I thank you for Don. I thank you for his family and I, his uh, family's contribution to this community. Um, thank you that we have families and individuals that choose to give of themselves to a local church. Lord, that's your call for all of us. You desire for us to be a part of of the body of Christ to work together and to glorify your name in partnership with one another. Lord, thank you for this passage that it's found in Old Testament and New Testament. It's a beautiful uh, insight into how we live and why to live. In your name, amen. All right, well, yes, um, let's get into it. Um, When I, so my main focus is gonna be on the first Peter uh, chapter three portion of it. Now, when I was a kid, there was a park just kind of near where I lived. It was a short walk away, and there was this, it was old. It's one of those classic parks that don't exist now because everything is about those parks have been outlawed. Um, there was this big orange slide that we would often sit on the top of. It was a tube slide, and we'd sit on the top of it, and we would goof off and have a ton of fun. Uh, It was really gross, the sand was dirty and I remember it was like one of those castle ones where you could go up to the top and there'd be two different levels. One day I was playing with my sister and there was a couple of other people and we, uh, there was this other kid and I would consider him a bit of a bully and we were being frustrated with him. And there was this moment where he was like, hey guys, I'm coming on up. And so he's like climbing up the side, and I look over at my sister and I'm like, this is gonna be great. I take what I had was a bucket of sand, and as he's like climbing up, I go over, and I pour the bucket of sand on his head. That's right, that's what I did, I, that's what I did. To the bully, sweet, sweet revenge. Um, you know, friends, we think, we think we want that, right? We think it will satisfy us. We think that it will lead to good days. Uh, I think sometimes, in fact, we think we need it, that we need to respond in, like, in that kind of manner, that we need to put our enemy in their place, that it's necessary. We think that the consequence of not putting them in their place is just too high. Uh, One of the things that I love about Peter is that we get to see Peter early on in his life with Jesus, and then in this passage of Scripture, we get to see him later on as he's lived his life a little bit longer. And when you look back in the Gospels, you see Cephas the rock Peter certainly believes that some kind of violent response makes sense. There's the classic story when Jesus has just been praying in the garden and the soldiers, the guards of the, of the temple come up and they seize him and Peter, we think it's Peter, most scholars are willing to agree it was Peter, um, takes it and he cuts the ear off of one of the soldiers to which Peter looked, or Jesus looks over and is like, Peter, like if you, if you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. This is not how it's supposed to be. But we can understand Peter's response in that. We can empathize with his passion to be like, oh, you grab my master, I'm gonna slice you, right? We can see why he would do that, why that might be reasonable. But then in verse 10, um, we have this, whoever would love life and see good days. We desire to live our lives well and to see good days. And everyone wishes to enjoy life day to day, but the question for us is, does this kind of behavior, this kind of uh, evil for evil, does it work? Is it what actually helps us live a good life? Does this way of wanting and needing to face the enemy, the way Peter did, produce the kind of life that we want? Um, I thought it would back on the park. What I didn't tell you was at that moment, when I poured um, that sand on that kid's head, it felt great for like half a second. Um, I had established my power and my dominance on the park, and deep down, I felt smaller and smaller than ever. What turned what what was this like sweet revenge became this bitter sweet conviction. I felt a wrongness, a sadness that was deep within me. It made me feel less. Have you been there? Have you found yourself in that situation before where you went toe-to-toe with an enemy, insult with insult, evil with evil, and you won, right? And you exalted in your victory, and you felt this quiet shame, this sadness as you sensed the spirit of Jesus asking Was was this the only way? Is this world truly better now? You were the victor, but evil and insult is actually what won. That sick feeling of realizing that uh, you embraced that lie, that to defeat the bully, you must become a bully. The truth of it is that many of us, um, when we look at our lives, we pursue the good And in the pursuit of that, it ends up being a miserable pursuit because it's self-seeking and self-destructive in our attitudes, constantly complaining or contentious or just this, this and that, this back and forth with evil, and it only aggravates the situation. So is, is there another real and viable option other than Peter's like slice and dice response? And I think for most of us, we would know that the answer is yes. There really is another way. And I would hope that you would truly want to love your life and see good days, as the passage suggests. Um, What I love so much about Peter is that we had that story where he goes in aggressively and he's kind of got this attack mentality. And then we see him years later in this passage of scripture, quoting from Psalms, You know, Peter in the story does not sound anything like the Peter who wrote this passage. Peter seems miles away from the passage we heard, which I love. I love that we get to see this because it seems pretty clear that Peter's encounter, Peter's encounter with Jesus' crucifixion, his resurrection, the giving of the Holy Spirit, transformed him, dramatically transformed him. This letter is filled with statements and words that clearly portray Peter as a man freed from fear, freed from malice, freed from bitterness and resentment. Here is a man who once acted in violence is now acting with a different kind of solid and real and sustainable power. And in all of this, He loves his life. It's clear that in his first letter and in his second letter, that despite trials and tribulations, persecution and difficulties, he loves his life. His transformation gives us hope that we are not fixed in the past and that our past actions do not need to define us. And not only does this transformation give us hope that we can, in fact, be transformed by Jesus, But his transformed life also led to the writing of this letter, which gives us guidance and insight. The passage that we heard earlier gives us a glimpse into the secret for loving life and seeing good days. So, Peter has something to tell us, and we need to listen. He's saying, I've been there, I've felt fear, I've had anger, I've been confused, I've had a lack of self-control, and in all of this... I've learned some things, and you need to listen. And just like David himself, who has learned some things over his life, is sharing with great insight and great wisdom. I'd like to read the passage to you again, but I'm going to add just a tiny bit of context by adding verse 9 in 1 Peter 3 into it as well. So here we go. Let me read it. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. Four, and here we hear Peter using a direct quote from Psalms 34 whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech or telling lies. um, They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So this is where we're at. We have great insight found within this. So there's essentially two responses that I see primarily coming out of this text Two responses to evil, and the first is, avoid it. Seems kind of basic. Avoid it. If you want to see good days, keep your tongue from evil. Keep your lips from deceitful speech. Turn your back to evil and do good. Um, one of the things that we see in Scripture, in the, in the New Testament as well, is that there's a lot of passages that have to do with speech And our mouths and what we say and what comes out of our mouths. There's the passage that says, uh, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of, right? We have instances where throughout wisdom literature, there are these hints that from out of the mouth is what reveals the heart. And if you can control your lips and control your speech, good will come your way. What's really common in uh, ancient Hebrew, and not just Hebrew wisdom literature, is it's quite formulaic. Do these things, these good things come out of it. There's this classic format that we see particularly in Proverbs and also in portions of the Psalms. Do these things. If you avoid these things, good will come your way. And then what I also love is that there's a strong contrast, in particularly in wisdom literature and within the Psalms, where it says, like, the unrighteous and the evil people, they use their lips in these ways. They say these things. They slander. They lie. They have all of this. But our God, you know, what comes from his mouth is like you can live off of those things, right? Man lives off of the words of the Lord. It's a fountain of life. So we have this contrast. And we have all of these interesting um, interactions. What I love about this Psalms passage actually, is that, and we would never know this until you read a little bit more, uh, dig a little bit, but in the Hebrew it was actually an acrostics of the Hebrew alphabet. So it had a poetic beauty to it that we couldn't see, that it was slowly moving through like an acrostic poem, a classic kind of poem that you would use, particularly in that ancient literature. And what I like about that, uh, the the use of an acrostic uh, poem is that it not only promotes like an orderliness and like a system in all of this, but it's an effort for it to be beautiful. It's an effort for something true to be also something said beautifully. If you're going to say something true, why would you not also make it beautiful and true? A little side note, if you have something to say, if you have something true to say, why not do what you can to make it as beautiful as possible. If you have something true to communicate, invest some time to make sure that the truth can be heard. Um, You want to be able to remove any barriers when communicating truth. Actually, Peter hints a little bit at that um, later on in 1 Peter 3, um, when he says, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you uh, to give a reason for the hope that you have. So that's the truth component. People are like, hey, what's your truth? What's going on? But then Peter says, but do this with gentleness and respect. That's one of the ways of removing a barrier. Another way of removing barriers is through, is through art, through making it beautiful. Um, And this is one of my critiques that I have of some forms of apologetics. I'm kind of tangenting, okay, I'm going to curve back here in a second. One of my critiques of uh, many forms of apologetics is that just because your argument is sound and even possibly true does not mean a person will hear the truth through your arrogance, pride, or even worse. If you have something true to say, say it beautifully. Say it in a way that removes as many barriers as possible. Okay, back to the passage at hand. So the tradition of avoid evil came to dominate what Israel defined as righteous living. You see it throughout the entire Old Testament. There are verse after verse, paragraph, chapters. All of these things are pointing towards religious practices and social practices about avoiding evil. That nation is evil, do not associate with it. That city is evil, turn your back, don't look back or you'll get assaulted. That was just a little Sodom and Gomorrah joke there for you. Uh Uh-huh, all right, that was pretty bad, but it's okay. Um, Practice, you know, there's these practices that are evil. Tear them down, don't do them, throw them away, don't associate with them. All of this is really, really good God knows that we are not strong enough to be surrounded by evil and sinful behaviors and not have it influence us. For example, God often asked the Israelites to remove and tear down all of these high places and these idols, throw them out, and a lot of times the Israelites wouldn't. They'd be like, you know what, you're my God, but I'm just going to keep this on the side. I don't know why, maybe it's an heirloom, I'm just going to leave it there. And next thing they know, they go back to these things. God knew that. He knew that about our personalities, about our, our disposition that we would fall back to these things. And so the wisdom in this passage is clear. Avoid it. Avoid it at all costs. Turn your back on evil. The problem that emerged, however, is that it didn't just stop there. And the avoid it principle kind of got taken quite liberally. It, it got abused. It became less about being unique in avoiding these things for the purposes of loving God and being close to God and it became more of a self-interest type thing. Avoid evil, avoid evil people. Avoid people who once did evil things. Avoid people who sinned or avoid people who are unclean and avoid unclean or sick people. And you're just slowly, as a culture, they're just slowly backing away further and further, rule upon rule upon rule So that they get to this point when we see in the New Testament, particularly in the Gospels, that their entire culture was all about avoiding everything to the point where there was unjust things taking place, there was pain taking place, there was disconnection. We see this avoidance throughout the Gospel, but Jesus, he came and he showed us something more. He showed us something more than just avoid evil yes avoid evil but something more and so the secret that i see paul or see peter saying in this passage isn't just that of seeing good days is avoiding evil and doing good over there but it's a much more dramatic and radical approach it's far more difficult peter's reading of this psalms passage is seen and interpreted through the lens of jesus the crucified redeemed and glorified one. The one who found a way to simultaneously avoid evil but not turn his back on people. And Peter, now having lived filled with the Holy Spirit, having witnessed the reality of Jesus's upside down victory, is able to take the avoid it principle and then take it one step deeper. Because wise practice, the wise practice of avoiding evil without the redemptive power of love will turn in on itself. It will turn into religion and disconnection and distance from other people. And Jesus turns all of that up on its head and we see Peter doing this as well. This deeper step we find in verse 9 when he says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with insult. Blessing, because to this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. So step two is repay it. Avoid evil, yes, and then repay it with a blessing. This is hard for us to do. Honestly, if we could just do the avoid evil and avoid those things and just do good over here, turning our backs to evil situations, that feels a little easier. But Jesus And Jesus, through Peter here, is clearly suggesting that the real way for us to ultimately see the good life, to love our lives, is that we actually have to repay evil with blessing. That is the only way for us to ultimately love our lives and enjoy good days. For the eyes of the Lord to be on us is for us to repay evil with blessing. This goes against human nature. I'm not suggesting that this is easy. This is hard. This is, that, this is the little Trent hearing, don't dump sand on the head of the bully. That's not the right thing to do. But everything in me at that time, and even now in our own ways, we want to do that. We want to respond in like manner. And God is calling us to something difficult, but something beautiful. And Peter gives us two reasons why we are to react in this way, why we are to react with blessing. The first is that we are called to follow Jesus as the example. In 1 Peter 2, 21 to 23, it says this, To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Um, He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled insults, their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And I think to myself, Jesus, how did, how did you do that? How were you, you were completely justified to lash out. You had every right to speak against those who spoke against you. And yet you didn't. What was it that you so deeply understood about your relationship with the Father? that we still struggle to grasp, that you were willing to entrust that justice, that injustice to your God, to your Father. Lord, help us to do this. Help us to understand that we can fight a different way. And then the second point, the second reason that Peter suggests that this is the way for us to live well is that we do it so that we might receive a blessing from God. Luke 6, 35 says this, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. These are hard things, but they're good, and they're beautiful, and they're true. And God, if this is true, if this is actually the way for us to be, if we are to follow you, Jesus, in this pattern, how do we do that? How do we not just do good in our lives, but also do good to those who have wronged us, hurt us, slighted us? Um, That's the question for us. Church, how do we do this? How do I do this when everything inside of me might want to lash out? How do we go against our human nature? Well, in the scripture and beyond, we see hints. First, that we hold on to hope. We know that God desires to bless us. If you knew that God desires to bless you for your behavior, you can hold on to that hope. We can know that we will be rewarded. We also can, when we respond to others out of the blessing we have already received. That's another way that we can begin to live this way. Is that when we count our blessings, there's that classic line, blessed to be a blessing. And sometimes we say it kind of with a a smirk, but it's true. God has poured out his love, his grace, his mercy upon us. And it is out of that place that we are freed to bless others without restraint. We don't have to hold back in our blessing. I know sometimes we feel like that, like I can't, I can't love a person too much. I can't be too nice. I can't be too gracious because somehow we think that it's a limited resource. Friends, there is no limit to the resource for blessing others. We will never run dry if we choose to bless others. It is limitless. And when we respond to others out of the blessings that God has given us and just Take mental stock each day of what God has done for you and that can help us bless others. And there is a peace and a joy that is a natural byproduct of releasing revenge into the hands of God. I don't know if you've noticed this in your life, but it's a natural and it's a beautiful thing to just say, you know what, I'm gonna let go of this. I'm gonna release my desire to make this right, to solve this problem, and I'm gonna give it to God and I'm gonna trust Him There's a natural reward that comes in that. And then ultimately, when we repay evil with blessing, um, the result is a clear conscience that ultimately points people to Jesus. And us who follow after Jesus, that is such a beautiful call in our lives is to elevate the name of Jesus. And one of the number one ways we can do that is through this participation in blessing other people. When we choose to bless others, it ultimately points back to who Jesus is, and it gives God glory. So what am I saying in all of this as I wrap up? Well, the capacity to both avoid evil and repay it with a blessing is deeply rooted in our relationship with Jesus. When you know who you are in Christ, when you have experienced his grace, when you've experienced his salvation, when you've experienced all that he's done in your life, it frees us to live in the tension of both of these things. When we know that we are a loved child of God, when we know this for ourselves, we are free to take the risk of repaying evil with blessing. Are you free? Do you feel that sense of freedom to take the risk of repaying evil with blessing and leaving the outcomes to the Lord. This is not easy, but I would encourage you, take a chance. Allow, allow yourself to step out of that boat and risk being in this place, this uncertain place with our God. Risk repaying evil with a blessing and watch what happens in your life. God himself has repaid our evil by redirecting it to the cross. God himself, who avoids evil, does not avoid you because of your sinful past or your brokenness. He responds with love towards you. Uh, when we have accepted this truth, when we have repented of our sins, when we've acknowledged our need of God, when we have been filled with the Holy Spirit and have experienced the peace and the joy and the freedom found in Jesus, we are are enabled to simultaneously avoid evil and repay it with blessing, knowing full well that the eyes of the Lord are on us. When I was a kid, eyes of the Lord was kind of a scary thought, like, oh, he's staring at me. He's like, like, gonna condemn me. But we have to understand that when David says that, and then when Peter quotes that, it is a thing of comfort. It is a thing of like, the attention and the affection of Almighty God is on us as we live these our lives like this. And we don't expect life to go perfectly, right? I just want to finish with this. We do not expect things to, this behavior for us to escape punishment, or not punishment's the wrong word. We do not escape hardship or persecution. Um, We know full well that some of our good actions will actually intensify hardship. Um, uh, If we were to read on in Peter's letter, we would see that in all of this encouragement, he's saying it to a church in persecution, a church struggling under oppression. And yet in all of that, he's saying, you will love your life. You will enjoy good days. You will experience God's blessing in the midst of hardship by choosing to walk this way, by choosing to walk in the way of Jesus. I love the transition from Peter's past to this letter, and I would encourage all of us to know that that can exist in our lives when we choose to trust Jesus with everything. I'm going to pray. The worship team's going to come up and lead us in another song. This is a song to prepare us for communion. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, as we engage in worship, We ask that it would be a blessing to you, that it would remind us of all of the good things that you have done for us, that you, Lord, have blessed us. Help us to turn that to others. Help us to take the risk of repaying evil with blessing. Lord, this is the right life. This is the good life. This is the secret that King David understood. This is the secret that Peter proclaimed. Uh, This was the truth revealed so profoundly. And you, Jesus Christ, our one and only Savior. Amen.